So guys, we've been studying um, the series that we're taking on this month is, is entitled Tough Questions. And throughout the Bible, we continuously see tough questions. Whether Jesus was asking a tough question or somebody else was asking a tough question, one of the things that I do is every time I'm reading the, my Bible, when I'm reading it, I have a notebook right next to me and I'm constantly writing down questions. I read something, I'm like, oh man, what about this? And I have all these questions. And so I, I love asking questions and I love trying to find answers for questions. And so as I began to look at this, the biggest question that I've been chewing on, and you can ask my elders, I've been sending them emails, I bother them now, and I'm like, hey, I want you to define what is salvation. I asked all my, I sent an email, like, what is salvation? And here's the, here's the thing I want you to think about this. As a pastor, as a Sunday school teacher, if you are, if you are in any, involved in any of those types of things, shouldn't this be the easiest question to answer? It should be. And yet I have wrestled with this question all week long. Not really just with what is salvation, but all the things that go with it. Because really what I would love to do is just make everything so simple. But really as you read the Bible, how Jesus offered salvation to the tax collectors and the prostitutes was not the same way that he presented it to the rich young ruler who asked. I'm just telling you, like I'm reading through there and to the rich young ruler, oh, one thing you like, sell everything you got. To the tax collector, he says, do you believe? Yep, all right. I'm like, woo. So then I started, like, Lord, I, so I went through, like, I've been going through the Gospels and I've been looking at every one of these things. And so here's the thing, what is salvation? Before we get into today's passage, what is it? What is salvation? And, and, and it's a lot harder than what it sounds, but I am going to, to try to bring it back to, to something that's a little bit simpler because the word salvation itself implies something. And what it implies is the act of being saved. Salvation, if I'm going to say what is salvation, it is being saved. Saved from something. And so if we're going to do this, we're going to have to come back and what are we saved from? The, uh, salvation is the act of being saved from sin and death. So if we're really going to talk about salvation, we have to understand what am I needing to be saved from. Salvation implies that I need to be saved. Well, what do I need to be saved from? Sin and death. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. I need to be saved from the sin and the death part, right? Okay, so that's really what we're going to be really focusing on today. And so I want to bring up a passage that actually that's the very end of today's scripture that we're studying. It's the very end of it. And it actually gives like the perfect biblical definition or the perfect picture of this being saved. So in John chapter 8 verse 31 it says this. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. And I want you to hear me. There's a lot of people who know the teachings of Jesus but don't hold the teach. There's a big difference between knowing and holding. Does that, you guys, you know what I'm saying? My wife knows the difference between me knowing her and holding her. Can I get an amen for my wife? Come, nobody, could, I couldn't even hear you. Oh, that's terrible. 
That was more of like a question. If you saw her face from here, it was like, amen. Okay, so. But you guys get what I'm saying, right? So what Jesus is saying is like, if you really believe in me, okay, for those who believed, he says, if you hold to my teachings, if you, if you, if you listen to the things that I'm telling you. So Jesus was constantly teaching. Everywhere we see in the Bible, Jesus is teaching a lesson, aren't we? And on his teachings, there's, oh man, if you're just getting in the gospel, there's nothing like the teachings of Jesus. And you're getting in there and you're like, woo, he, he, one, at one point he says, hey, I, I know that you've heard it said this way, but I want, you, I want you to love your enemies. I want you to pray for those who persecute you, right? That's the teachings of Jesus. So he says, listen, if you hold to my teachings, if you actually do it, that's what he's saying. If you'll actually do it, if you'll forgive those who've wronged you, if you'll love your enemies, if you'll pray for those who are persecuting, if you will hold, if you'll do the teachings, then you become my disciple. So he's saying is if you really want to be a disciple, it's not just about what you know about God, it's whether you hold the teachings of God. Woo! Come on, I'm ready for today. I hope you guys, you guys are going to have to find some energy. Dig deep, come on, come on, all right? So he says, if you hold to my teachings, you are my disciple, then. See, here's the then part. So if you hold to my teachings, then you're my disciple, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. free. Woo, come on, right? You're going to know the teach. So he goes, hey, if you hold on to what I'm teaching you, you'll become my disciple. And if you're my disciple, you're going to know the truth and that truth that you know, it's going to set you free. Why? Because I'm holding on to it. Because I'm living it. Because I'm doing it. Just because you know something doesn't mean you're holding on to something. So he says, I want you to be my disciple. If you're going to be my disciple, you've got to hold on to the teaching. If you hold on to the teaching, you're going to know the truth. The truth is going to set you free. Then they answered him. So the, these are the Pharisees. They answered him. We are Abraham's descendants. We have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say we shall be set free? Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, everyone. Now listen, this is, this is where we get into salvation. Listen to me. Everyone who sins. Who's that? Everyone. Everyone who sins. Oh, yep, it's still there, I think. Yep, maybe. Maybe. Okay, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. You hear me? Everyone who sins is a slave to sin, and a slave has no permanent place in the family. Okay? Uh, you guys following me, right? What he's saying is if I'm going to continue to live in sin, I'm not really a part of the family. You can claim to be a part of the family and not be in the family. You get what I'm saying? This is, we're talking about salvation. We're talking about the most important thing I could ever teach you, ever, 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 ever. Don't miss this. A slave has no permanent place in the family, but this, a son belongs to it forever. When you get saved, you're adopted into God's family, and you belong to it. He said, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free. If the Son sets you free. So salvation is about freedom. It's about freedom. That's the whole point of salvation is freedom. 
Now listen, so then, so then, so, so I need to now come back to the whole verse on everyone who sins is a slave to sin. I need to slow down and I need to break this down for you, okay? Because um, we're going to do a little bit of Greek work here. Are you guys ready for Greek English? Well, it's not really English, it's Greek. Greek grammar. Let me just say it that way. Greek grammar. So everyone who sins is a slave to that sin, right? So the word sins here is a present active participle. I'm going to break it down easy if you're taking notes. Present tense means continuous active habitual. What it's saying is this, everyone who continuously sins, if you're going to just continue to do what you've always been doing, right? If I'm going to continue to live in the sin that I know is a sin, following me? If I'm going to continue to live in this, if I'm going to continue to do it, it's habitual. I'm continuing. Not that, hey, I stubbed my toe and I said a cuss word. That's not the same thing. This is talking about when you will continue to live in sin. All right? Active voice means you're the sinning. God's not doing the sin. You are. Everyone who sins, you are making a choice to do it. Participle is where it's good. I mean, it's all good, but verbal... uh, uh, um, a participle is a verbal adjective. Verb is an action. Adjective describes the noun. The noun is the one sinning. So what it's saying is when you get to the point in your life where you're known by your sin, when people see you and they see the sin you're doing and it becomes that sin becomes a part of your identity, that's when you're a slave to it. When you're a slave to sin, everyone knows your sin. Yeah, come on, right? Right? That's why there's no such thing as a drunk Christian. You can't be an alcoholic Christian. You can't be both. You can't be a slave and addicted to alcohol and, a, and freed from it at the same time because if salvation is an act of being free from the sin, I can't continue in the sin and be freed from it. So I can't be addicted to alcohol and saved from alcohol at the same time. There's no such thing as homosexual Christians. There's no such thing as angry Christians. There's no such thing as as an unforgiving, bitter Christian that you go through all of the sin of the Bible. Every time we start seeing these sins, you look at it, there's no such thing. I can't live in that and be free from it. You see, not that you don't struggle with alcohol and have to wrestle with it, or that you don't have, hey, I'm, I, am, I am freed from the addiction of drugs, but I still struggle with a temptation. There's still a temptation. There's still a, I'm still wrestling. Is still, you see what I'm saying? Is when I am living it, when I choose to, to continue to live in it, I'm not free from it. Guys, following me. There's a lot of people who are this close to salvation and they will die this close to salvation because they know, they know it, but they haven't held on to it. Come on. If I don't hold on to it, I'm not freed from it. I know what I'm doing is wrong, but I continue to do it. Then you are not freed from it. And that's what salvation is. Billy Graham said he believed that there was 25% of everyone sitting in any church on any given Sunday that weren't really at the point of salvation yet. 25% because one out of every four people who think they're saved aren't actually saved because they haven't got free. There's not the freedom yet. I'm not freed from the sin that I continue to lock up with. 
I'm living in it. I know God. I love God. I praise God. I give to God. I serve God. Jesus even told somebody, they said, we prophesied in your name. We, we drove out demons in your name. We followed you. We walked all over. We quit our jobs for you. And he says, depart for I never knew you. You haven't got free from the things that I died for. You and I don't know each other yet like we need to. Guys, there's so many people who are this close to salvation. This close. And they'll die this close because they've never got freedom from it. Because they don't understand it to begin with. Because preachers aren't preaching it. All, yes, I am, uh, yes you're, you're, you got all kinds of sin that we're dealing with, right? I mean, when, I'm, when you're living in any, in the sin, the point is, is this, salvation is free from the sin. What about cussing, right? Well, hey, I got rid of the big sins. Guys, don't go big sins and little sins, weaker and stronger. Sin is the problem, for all have sinned. Did you know that complaining is a sin? Do all things without complaining? So if I'm going to live a life of complaining, I'm not free from what? Complaining. There's a life change that needs to happen in here. So what happens is as we define this, this what salvation is, salvation is the act of being saved from sin and death as we saw in that passage. Now listen to this. This is, this is one of our, we have two like mission verses in our church. This our mission statement in this church at Living Water is finding freedom to walk in purpose. That is our mission for every one of you sitting in this room today. We want to help you find freedom so that you can walk in purpose. And the first verse that we share with anyone that's willing to listen is Galatians 5.1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. It's for freedom. It's for freedom. See, we're talking about salvation. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm. Stand firm. Then do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of what? Slavery. You see it right there, right? Don't go back to what you got freedom from. God set you free. Don't go back to hell. Quit going back to the thing you were saved from. And how many times do we do that over and over and over? We were saved from it and then we go waller in it. He says, I already set you free. That's salvation. I'm setting you free. Don't go back to it. Don't go back to it. So that passage is the very end. So what I'm going to do is we're going to read all the verses that lead up to that. I'm going to read a lot of them pretty quick. They're going to be on the, the deal, but John 8, 12. So if you want to turn your Bibles there or if you want to follow on the screen, here's where we go. So I'm going to, I'm going to read this, this, this story getting up to, because what I did is I started with the end. Now I'm going to go where it started. Okay. So John chapter 8, verse 12. Then Jesus was, so Jesus was speaking and teaching in a temple. And the, the, the Pharisees kept asking these uh, annoying questions. They, they, kept, he kept, they kept poking at him and jabbing him, and Jesus just kept teaching. I'm like, man, I want to be like that. Just keep teaching. Don't worry about what's going on around you. Just keep teaching. Just keep teaching. Just keep teaching. Jesus just kept. So J Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. The Pharisees therefore said to him, you bear witness of yourself. Your witness is not true. Jesus answered and said to them, even if I bear witness of myself, 
My witness is true, for I know where I came from and where I'm going. You do not know where I came from and where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. And yet, if I do judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone, but I am with the Father who sent me. It is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. I am one who bears witness of myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness of me. He also said in a different point that his works bear witness of who he is. The things that he did, his works, his miracles, his, the signs and miraculous things, that all of the works were a witness to who he was. All right, and then verse 19 now. Then they said to him, where is your father? Okay, Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you had known me, you would know my father also. He's showing a connection there with him and God the Father. The words spoke, these words spoke, Jesus spoke in the treasury he taught in the temple, and no one laid hands on him for his hour had not come. Now verse 21, here we go. Then, they, then Jesus said again to them, I'm going away, and you will seek me and will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. Whew. It's pretty tough, right? Whew. Can you imagine sitting in that treasury? They said, where's your father? And he goes, well, you don't know him. You don't know me. You're going to die in your sin. I had all these questions start popping in my mind. And I was writing them all down. I'm like, I'm like sitting there, like, they would die in their sin. What do you mean by that? You're going to die in your sin. What do you mean by that? And here's what's amazing is they focus, and I think a lot of us do, we focus on the less important of the things. They should have been focusing, uh, could back up, rewind, talk about the dying and the sin part. What did they want to talk about? <laughs> the Jews said, will he kill himself? Because he says, where I go, you cannot come. That didn't even make sense. Let's not, talk about the, let's not talk about the sin in our life. How many times do we want to go to church and say, I hope he's not preaching on sin. Or if he is preaching on sin, I just hope he's not preaching on my sin. Right? I mean, come on. Let's, right? Isn't that kind of like, don't step on my toes today. Step on my wife's toes. I mean, it's like, like I can't tell you how many times I've watched, you know, because I can see everything, right? So I'm, I'm watching this, and every once in a while I'll preach something, and I'll see a wife go, boom. And you know what she really wants to do is like, did you hear that? You know, like, but usually it's just like a little elbow because she doesn't want me to see like complete like spousal abuse in the church, you know? So like, I hope you're listening, honey. You listening to him, you know? And it, it's, it's, don't we kind of, we, right? We're like, hey, I'm listening for somebody else. I'm sitting in today auditing the class. I'm actually listening for my spouse so that I can let them know when they need to be listening. That's kind of how we treat sermons. But here's the reality, guys. Man, if I could just sit there and say, God, I need to get stepped on today so that I can be closer to you. Show me what I'm missing so that I can get closer to you. Guys, there's something I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope. And one of the things that I have noticed so much, guys, is like all week long, God has been stretching me for this sermon. And so many times we get in here and we get distracted mainly distracted by our bladders, right? Like in and out, in and out, and I always feel bad for whoever's sitting in the back because it's in and out, in and out, in and out. Here's the thing. 
I need to go to the bathroom too. I told my wife right when we were praising, I was like, oh, I need to go to the bathroom. And she goes, go. And I'm like, no, we're getting our praise on and I'm not missing another moment of this. Like I am, so, you know, like that's why I'm doing this a lot. Like, you know, like listen, if I can hold it and I've needed to go all morning, I just kept forgetting. That's the squirrel in me. I forgot all morning long. I can hold it, hold it. Because you don't want to miss a thing. I'm serious, just you don't want to miss you don't want to miss what God has for us. And so, so, so here's what happens, right? So they're, they're, they're saying, you know, will he kill himself, where he's going? And so here's the thing. What I want you to see is how, how human history repeats itself, right? Over and over again. In the garden, Adam and Eve was focusing on the, on the fruit that they couldn't have, right? In the desert, Israel focused on only the food they couldn't have. Like, I don't like the manna. I want bread. Or I, mean, I want meat. Well, at least you got bread, I mean, it could be like have, you've got sand to eat. You could be eating a cactus. That's kind of sticky. I mean, you know, so, so the thing is, is that here in front, the Jews are focusing on where they can't go, not on what Jesus is actually trying to get them to see. Wait, hold on. I'm a grown adult, Jesus. I'll follow you. Where I'll go wherever I want to go. You can't say that I can't follow you. I mean, don't we kind of have that prideful, like, oh, oh, I can't, I can't have the, the forbidden fruit? Oh, no, you didn't. I'm going to eat that. Oh, you, I can't have this. Oh, I will show you. I mean, adults are worse than children. Come on, don't act like you're not. Don't tell me what I can't do, right? I'll show you I'm an adult. Don't sound like it, but okay, right? I mean, that's what we have this habit of doing. And so here's the thing is they're focusing on what Jesus said about where he's going. They miss the whole point. And I love how Jesus brings it right back. Look at what he says in verse 23. In verse 23, he comes back and he said to them, you are, he answers their question, where they're, you know, where's he going to go? Is he going to kill himself? He goes, you're from beneath, I am from above. You are from this world, and I am not of the world. So he's just, he answers their question, but listen, therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins. He comes right back to the problem. You're focused on what the problem is not. See, what we often do in our lives is we're focusing on what we can't have. We're focusing on what we want to have. We're focused on all these other things instead of God saying, hey, I just told you you're going to die in your sin. And you want to talk about this other stuff? He said, therefore, I said to you, you will die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. He says it twice just to make sure they're hearing. See, he answers the question, uh, you're from below this world. I am from above, not of this world. He's talking about he's from heaven, okay? He's going back to heaven. He's making a very simple thing, that they, a reference to what they don't see yet. He's making a reference to the crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension. They will never get this until after it all happens. Then they'll go back, oh, that makes sense now, right? But right now in the moment, it's not making sense. And that's okay. But I want you, when Jesus said, I am going and you can't come, at least not in the state that you're in, right? We'll get to that in a minute. What we really need to do right now is to address the elephant in the room. What Jesus is trying to say, listen, you got caught up in the wrong part of what I'm saying. You need to hear me. You're going to die in your sin if you don't believe. You're going to die in your sin. That's the elephant in the room. That's the thing that we need to deal with. Every single one of us in this room need to deal with the sin in our life. Every one of us has something in our life that we still have. I mean, it's a lifelong process, isn't it? 
You get saved in a moment, right? But then it's a lifelong process of God showing more and more things in our life that we need to fix. And the moment he shows me something, I'm like, yep, anything but that. I'm not doing that. Now I've chosen slavery. The moment I say, I'll do everything but that, I'm choosing. And I'm going to get to that in just a minute. So here's the deal. The first thing that he says is you will die. What does that mean? You will die. Well, exactly what it says is pretty simple. You're going to die. That's something that every one of us in this room have in common. Every one of us is going to die. We're all going to die. So that's a pretty, pretty so far it's pretty easy. Um, you know, we're, 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 we're going to die, a physical death. For those who are saved from death, then death has no hold on you, right? Last week, um, last, last sermon, last, last week, I, I, I preached on this verse. Uh, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live, right? So, so death is, if I'm saved, death doesn't have a hold on me. I may breathe my last breath, but it's not my last breath. Does that make sense, right? So, so the thing is, is that the, the first thing he's like, you're going to die. So that's the dying. It's going to happen physically. Now, the next part is this. You will die in your sins. This is a statement of the, the this is a, a, a state of their death, okay? What kind of death you're going to have? You're going to die in your sin. Because remember, what is salvation? The act of being saved from sin and death. So if I'm not saved, I'm in my sin, dying in my sin, dying in my sin. So what he's trying to say is like, listen, this is not a joke. God's not playing a game with sin. If you don't start changing some things in your life, you're going to die in that sin. You're going to die in it. You're going to die in the sin. He doesn't say die in your redemption. He doesn't say die in your salvation. He doesn't say die in your forgiveness. He's like, you're going to die in your sin. Well, these men were in danger of dying in their sin without salvation. So now I have to ask another question. What is sin? What is sin? Okay, here's a definition I want to share with you to start with. It's an infraction or indiscretion against a divine law, whether intentional or unintentional. Did you guys hear me say unintentional? Remember, uh, you remember the movie Matrix? Okay, oh, sorry, no, I'm just kidding. So, in the movie Matrix, I remember there was a point where the guy offers a pill that he, if he wanted to get out of the matrix and he would go back to the sleeping life of where you don't have to live in the matrix anymore, but basically you take this pill and you're going to go back to sleep and you're going to live your, the rest of your life in this little slimy cubicle, right? And the guy took the pill and goes, ignorance is bliss, right? Here's what so many Christians have that same mentality, ignorance is bliss. I don't know it's a sin, so it's not a sin. Yes, it is. Just because you don't want to open up the Bible and look doesn't make it not a sin because you don't know. Anybody's toe hurting? Come on. Right? Because a sin is an infraction or indiscretion against divine law. God said, here's the manual, here's the book, here's the law, and a sin is something against it. So if I don't know it, that's still my fault because guess what? We've got it. It's right here. 
I have no excuses. It's right here. So whether I know it, it's an intentional, I'm going to do it anyways, or, well, I really didn't know that it was a sin. Now listen to this. It continues the definition, goes intentional or unintentional, that demands retribution. Retribution means punishment. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is? There we go. Death. Now what I want to share with you, Pastor Paul's going to get pretty excited here in a minute. He made me read a book, and the book has been blowing my mind all week long. Have you ever read one of those that just like it changes everything, how you see everything? Well, this one has done that. Sin can't be less than this, okay? Sin can't be less than that because that's by all Bible dictionaries, the theologian's definition of, 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 of sin, okay? So this is how everybody sees sin, an infraction or indiscretion against the divine law, whether intentional or unintentional, that demands retribution, period. But I want to ask this, what if it's more? What if it's more than that? You hear me? What if it's, what if it's worse? What if sin is actually worse than the definition man gave it? Everybody accepts this definition, but what if it's worse than that? Has any, I mean, I never thought about it until I started reading this book, and I'm like, I never even thought, because that's just, hey, that's the definition. Here's what sin is. But what if it's worse? Would you want to know if it's worse? How many of you say, I would rather, I would like to know if it's worse than the definition that we have for it? How many of you would raise your hand and say, I'd rather live in ignorance? Just, I'm just, oh, that was sneaky. He was like, I'm going to, oh, I'm just drinking. So, all right. That was, that was pretty good, Tyler, there for a minute. It was like, oh, are you really going to do this in the front row? Everyone's going to know. All right. So what we're going to do, though, this is going to be fun, all right? So I'm gonna, we're going to take a little bit deeper, and because you guys are used to me anyways, and, and it's kind of like if you're looking for a church of a short sermon, this isn't it. I'm sorry. Um, but if you want to go to a place that you're going to laugh, cry, and get really deep, this is it. So guys, I love this. Okay, so we're going to go back to Genesis, and we're going to look at the original sin, okay? Okay, so Genesis chapter 2, it, we, we, we see this, <clears throat> okay? So... And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree in the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day that you eat of it, you will surely die. Easy enough. Check this out. Okay? The command, do not eat, right? Pretty easy. We're going by our our old definition, right? Do not eat. That's the command. That's the divine law God gave Adam. Don't eat of this. That's command. A sin, if he sinned, it would be an infraction against the command. So if he ate, if he, if, if Adam and Eve end up eating of that true, true uh, tree, that's the that's the infraction, right? Uh, everybody agree? So then the retribution. Okay. So what happens if they eat of that tree? The retribution, the punishment is what? You will surely die. For the wages of sin is death. Right? So Old Testament matching up perfectly with the New Testament. Everybody follow me. But what if there's more to it? So I did this with my Sunday school class this morning. Adam and Eve. So Adam and Eve are, they eat of the tree. What happens? Immediately it says their eyes were opened and they realized they were naked. Right? Immediately they're putting, they're getting fig leaves and they're sewing on. They're getting, they're, 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 they're getting the first mini skirts and, you know, uh, loincloths. They're getting this all worked out right now. And what, what happens next? What, what happens next? The, the next thing that happens is they, they hear God in the garden, right? They hear God 
in the garden. So God is in the garden. They hear it. What do they do? They hide because they're afraid. So God says, where are you? Uh, we're over here hiding. Why are you hiding? Did you eat of the tree I told you not to? Oh, no, no. He says, where are you? And they said, we're over here. And he goes, well, because we're naked. Well, who told you you were naked? Who told you? Because God didn't tell them. Who told you you were naked? Uh, did you eat of the tree that you weren't supposed to? Uh, you know what I'm saying, right? So, so what happens is this. Without any conversation with God, without God ever saying, Adam and Eve, you guys messed up. We have a problem. He never had a conversation. Something happened between them eating of the tree and actually having a conversation with God. Do you know how we know this? And this is just me making stuff up. How we know this is that they heard God in the garden. How do you, hear some, how do you know it's God if you haven't heard him before? If they haven't had conversations with God before, if they hadn't walked with God in the garden before, if all of these things never happened, they wouldn't have known what it sounded like. They wouldn't even have known what to hide from. But they had walked with God in the garden, and they know what God sounds like. They know what he looks like. They know what he sounds like because they've walked with him in the garden. So this is where I'm going to tell you the author and everything. Author Shane Wood wrote a book called between two trees because I don't want to take credit for this Shane Wood book between two trees and one of the things as we started looking at this what changed what happened between that point he kind of goes back to the Trinity Father Son Holy Spirit three in Three in, three in, much better, thank you. All right, so three in one, there's oneness, right? Do you remember that that Jesus in the New Testament, he prayed for you, he prayed for the, the New Testament church and he says, God, I'm praying that they will be one as you and I are one, right? There's this idea of oneness. There's an idea of what Shane says, union, When he created Eve, he says, and the two will become? When you get married, the two become? See, your wife is an extension of you, and you are an extension of your wife. It's oneness. So God created everything. When he created them in the image of God, only man was created in the image of God. Guess who walked with God in the garden? Man. Because there was union between God and man, there was this union, there was something special that no one else had. You guys following me? You see, the purpose of the tree, I I hear lots of different doctrines and lots of different things taught, and the moment you take free will away from people, then you forgot the purpose of the tree. The tree in that garden served more purpose than what we'll ever understand. The tree in the garden served a purpose so that you could choose life or you could choose death. Your choice. Choose life and love or choose death and sin. You guys following me, right? That's what it was all about. See, here's the deal. If God just created you and said, Jeff, you're going to love me, and I don't care what you want to do or not. You're going to do it. Well, is that love real? 
every wedding I've ever performed, or, or not performed, but I guess the officiated, there we go, officiated, I have made the same statement every single funeral. I mean wedding, wedding. I'm just kidding, a wedding. So every wedding, every wedding. And I tell them, love is a choice. You can you cannot fall in love, and you cannot fall out of love. I, lo- I, I don't love it. When people say, well, I've fallen out of love, lie. You chose to stop loving. You can, you can fall out of a tree, and you can fall in a hole, but you cannot fall in love, and you cannot fall out of love. Love is and always will be a choice. You choose to love in sickness and health. You choose to love till death do you part. It's a choice, always. So that tree in the garden is all about a choice. You make a choice whether you're gonna love God more than the sin. Ooh, right? When you see that sin tempting you, God, I love you more. I love you more. I love you more. And walk away. Hmm? See, union took place in that garden, but it wasn't with God. Here's uh, Shane's definition of sin. Sin is a willful union with something other than God. Sin is a willful union with death. I've never thought of sin like that. Because when we start thinking of sin just as an infraction, then it's just a business issue. God, I cussed today. Sorry. I'm going to try not to do it tomorrow, and we move on. God, I, 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 I was a jerk to my spouse. I'm super sorry. I, that's dumb of me. I'm going to do better. See, when we start looking at sin as just a transaction against God, then we are just trying to make that transaction, saying the magic words to get out of trouble. God, I'm sorry. God, I'm sorry. God, I'm sorry. What God really wants us to see is you broke my heart. You broke union. We were one and you decided not to be one with me. You chose union with death instead of choosing union with life. When we start seeing sin like this, you start realizing the trouble it gets you in. You start realizing what it does between the relationship between you and God. It's not just a business transaction. It's I chose something other than God and breaking God's heart all over again. When I see sin for what sin is, I don't want any part of it. I want to crucify it. I want to crucify, that's why the Bible says crucify that old man. Crucify that sinful nature. God, I hate that sin and I hate what it does to me. I don't want it. I want to be one with you. I don't want to be one with, think about this. When you start sinning, don't you start thinking like sin? You start seeing like sin sees. You start doing what sin does. Because what's happened is this. You chose union with death. Now you see like death. You act like death, you live like death, because death is who you chose to be in union with. I'm going to take your silence as deep thought, right? 
as I continue to dig into this, oh, man, changed everything. It changed the way that I'm like, oh, God, I'm so sorry. Like, you start thinking about, God, I'm so sorry how the approach that I took on sin, the, the lackadaisical, lazy approach to sin. God, I'm sorry for just walking down and just, God, yeah, I sinned again. I'm sorry. And just making light of what it really is. How many of you kind of feel the same way? You're like, man, I have made light of sin, much lighter than what I should have. And now when we start seeing that maybe this sin is a lot more than just an infraction, it's something that, 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 that causes a major issue between me and God. Doesn't it? John eight twenty four. Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins if you do not believe that I am He. You will die in your sins. Then they said to Him, Who are you? I mean, you start thinking about this, right? I mean, this is the question we've been battling with for the, all this month. Who really is Jesus? The, 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 the first sermon that we talked about was the disciples in the boat. And there was a storm. And Jesus stood up and calmed the storm. And they're like, whoo! Who is this that commands the, even the wind and the waves obey him? Last week, they knew that Jesus could heal the sick. And they said, man, if Jesus had been here, couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? And Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. I don't know if you know this yet, but I am. You see, see, that's the whole, you know, I am that guy. And so what happened is each, each part in this, so, so when he says you will die in your sins if you do not believe that I am he. This whole month we've been focusing on who really is Jesus, not do you worship a historical figure. The problem that churches have today is we spend way too much time worshiping a historical figure rather than worshiping the Savior of my soul. We worship an idea of who we think God is historically, and we miss the one who freed me from death and sin and despair. See, God convicted me that I've spent a lot of time trying to teach people who they are and not enough time teaching who he is. You'll figure out who you are if you know who he is. So they're going to die in their sin if they don't believe that I am He. And that's when they said, who are you? They couldn't wrap their minds. Is this the real guy? Is it the Messiah? Or just somebody pretending to be the Messiah? They're struggling. Don't we? Don't we struggle too? Like, Jesus, I know that you're the son of God. I know that you died on the cross for my sins. I know that you rose from the dead. I believe those things. Historically, I believe that they're true. But most of us have still struggled of allowing Jesus to be your personal Lord and Savior. That's why churches are so empty today. We're worshiping an idea and not a person. That's why this needs to be different. That's why it is different. That's why when you walk into this place, you can feel God moving. 
because he's not a historical figure at living water. He's real. He's something that you can hold on to. He's someone who can set you free. But guys, how many people are so close to salvation and they think they're over here when really they're at this, this moment right here and they have because they still have, they're still holding on to some death in their life. Right? How can I be alive if I'm still holding on to death? Well, Daniel, it's only I'm not willing to forgive one person. I forgave everybody else. It's just this one person. That's still death. It's still death that we're choosing. We know. We know how many times you know in your life I'm in sin right here, but I don't want to let it go. You're choosing death willfully. Willfully. But I know this, I know this. And here's the thing, many people who are so close to being saved that aren't actually saved yet, they say, I feel God, I feel God. Well, yes, he's everywhere. Of course you feel him. Maybe because you're sitting next to somebody who actually has him. They're already living in the freedom that he's promised you, but you're still holding on to death. When will we let go of death? When will we willfully choose God and say, God, I want you, and I choose life? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the I am the resurrection and the So choose life. Choose life, not death. Salvation is an act of being saved from sin and death. When we look at sin, yes, it's an infraction. Yes, it demands retribution. But it's also a willful choice to unite ourselves with death. You chose death over life. And salvation reverses it. It reverses. Some of us need a complete reversal in our life. Some of us are saying, man, I got nine things right. I got this one thing. There's... I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. Okay, bow your heads, close your eyes. I got one more slide, but we're not going to look at it yet. Bow your heads, close your eyes. I want you to ask God, Lord, show me what sin I'm still choosing ask that's between you and him not you him and me you and him god is there any sin in my life that i'm still choosing is there any part of me that's still choosing death maybe it's a bad attitude maybe it's your language maybe it's how you're doing business maybe it's jealousy maybe it's unfaithfulness maybe it's bitterness maybe it's unforgiveness maybe it's drugs maybe it's alcohol Maybe it's selfishness. Maybe it's pride. Lord, show me right now what I'm willfully choosing over you right now. Ask him. Your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed. I just want you to slip up your hand if God showed you something that you're holding on to. Just just quickly, just pop it up and pop it down. Almost every one of us in this room said, I'm still willfully choosing something that I know I'm not supposed to willfully choose. 
how can I walk out of this room choosing death when life is right here? That's what I'm asking you to do right here, right now, whether you come forward or whether you don't. I'm asking you, I'm begging you, and I'm pleading with you to choose life. To choose life. Say, God, I repent of this sin. God, I don't want it. I don't want to hold on to it. I want to fix this. I want nothing to be between you and me right now. Nothing. 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 It's amazing how Jesus answered them when they said, who are you? And Jesus says, just what I have been saying to you from the beginning. Look up. John 1, 29. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We're going to open our altars. And this is the time. Maybe... Maybe you need to be saved all the way together and say, God, I don't, there's more inside of me than what I even know. God, I need freedom. I need freedom from the sin. God, I know I'm choosing death right now, but I don't want to choose death. Today, I choose life. Salvation is freedom. Freedom from sin freedom sin comes in all different shapes and sizes sometimes it's a complaining spirit a critical spirit it could be unforgiveness it could be anger it could be sexual immorality it could be pornography it comes in all different shapes and sizes but what I'm asking you today, today, is to say today, God, I choose life. Willfully choose life. God, I ask you to remove the sin and what it's done between us. Not just remove the sin, God. Not just remove the sin. Remove what it's done to us. Remove what it's done between us. God, I want nothing between us. I want it just you and me back to the union, back to the place we're supposed to be. You don't have to come forward to do that. You can do that right from your seat. But I will tell you that sometimes there's some special things that God does to us when we drop down to our knees. This doesn't mean that you will never commit another sin. It doesn't mean that you won't trip tomorrow. But it means that whenever you see that you made a choice that you immediately go to the Father and say, God, I choose love. God, I choose you. God, I love you more than this sin. God, I love you more than the, than the false identity I've accepted in my life. God, I love you more than my anger. I love you more than this bitterness that I've had. love you more than my greed. I love you more. God, I want to do what's right. I want to walk with you in the garden. God, I want to walk with you in the garden again. I want to walk with you in the garden again.